Good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 76 of the Cloudcast. Coming to you live tonight from our Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm pretty sure this will be episode 76, although Aaron is off at Apache Con this week and is uh, going to record some shows as well. So if you end up getting uh, duplicate numbers in your iPod, iPhone reader, uh, podcast reader, apologize for that. So, anyways, um, you know. We've been going back and forth on main topics for this year. Uh, a lot of folks are looking at 2013 to be a big breakout year for platform as a service or really an evolution. So we wanted to go back and bring back a friend of the show, uh, somebody who's, who's living in the trenches doing this every day. Uh, so Sinclair Schuler, uh, uh, CEO, founder of Apprendo. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you on. Hey, thanks, Brian. Great to be on. So um, you were on, gosh, it's probably been almost a year ago. Um, and we got a little bit of the background of where you had kind of uh, created the company from and, and gone from it. But give us real quick for folks that um, you know maybe new to the show um, or just kind of the, the state of, of where Apprenda is these days. Yeah, sure. I'll give uh, I'll give that brief background and then get into the state of affairs. So Apprenda was founded from uh, personal experience. I'm an ex-software developer. I have degrees in math and computer science, and I spent a lot of time in enterprise IT writing applications. So being in enterprise IT, I got a good sense for what the problems are in the context of A, app development itself, and then B, application management over time. Uh, a lot of what I experienced in enterprise IT influenced my perceptions and kind of got me going on how do I solve a couple of major problems. The two big problems that I encountered and that most of my colleagues encountered were, one, when we look at the apps that we built, over time, the application architectures got much more sophisticated. We started off writing pretty simple two-tier applications with a web front end and a database. And then we started getting into apps that were three-tier with uh, very thick middle services tiers. In some cases, they had to leverage distributed compute principles. Uh, Then we got into things like multi-tenant architectures. So the sophistication of these architecture patterns became a burden on us. Instead of being able to focus exclusively on what the business wanted from a solutions point of view, we got mired in investing tons of cycles on architecture work for what were some fairly esoteric architecture patterns. And that was something that, as a developer, was kind of troublesome because you actually couldn't uh, produce value as quickly as you'd like. And the people who were depending on you on the business side were wondering what's taking so long when it came to write applications. So that was pretty frustrating. Uh, The second thing that was a frustration and where we lost a ton of time was around app deployment and management. Let's say we built an app and we got it done. It would take us anywhere from 60 to 90 days to get the the app actually deployed and running on the infrastructure. And that was with all the automation tools that uh, the firm had. I had worked for Morgan Stanley at the time. Um, We would go through things like calling the IT department, security team, networking teams, load load balancer teams, DBAs. Everybody had to get involved to lift an app onto the infrastructure. And this model, this iteration and break-fix approach to the app up and running was uh, just a huge waste of time. So we started Apprenda with the goal of what if we built a software layer that you could put on top of all of your data center resources that would sit on top of all of your OS instances on your servers and stitch those together along with load balancers and other equipment into a single homogenous cloud, if you will. And that cloud should do two things. Get rid of all of those app management tasks and instead of taking 90 days, get an app up and running in 90 seconds. And two, provide a modern runtime, almost like a distributed app container for modern applications that would commoditize these really tricky patterns like multi-tenancy distributed compute patterns so that devs could write apps very easily. Um, and that, that was the motivation for founding the company. Okay. So it was it was sort of, you know, in essence, built off of uh, a problem that you had and a pain point that you had and then just sort of putting expertise to work at it and, uh, and going after it. Got it. Cool. So... Um, <clears throat> 
the last time we had talked to you guys, and, and a lot of the debate in the PaaS space for, say, the last year or so, um, you guys basically said, we are going to go after, well, uh, you're going after the enterprise market, so it wasn't purely a, like a public cloud sort of play. It was, we're going to kind of go after the enterprise, and, you know, the discussion we had was, you know, the really the two core uh, development frameworks or languages were really, uh, you know, for Windows applications, .NET, and then Java. And you guys had taken a very um, strong stance that you were going to be best in class around .NET, um, go after uh, Microsoft developers. Um, you felt like, you know, Azure was sort of, um, wasn't where it needed to be, so there was a big opportunity for that. Um, and and it, it kind of contrasted with some of the con conversations that were going on with polyglot or multi-framework uh, kind of discussions. Um, talk about just a little bit, how's, how's the market and, and the sort of PaaS ecosystem evolved around that sort of thinking of one language versus multiple languages and, and what's you know, best of breed versus you know, flexibility? Yeah, sure. So I think one is a philosophical uh, discussion and the other one is an architectural one from a, from a technical perspective. So on the philosophical side, the polyglot versus single language, I think we're pretty strongly still positioned in the camp that it's not about the number of languages that you support. That has never been a meaningful measure for, for value. Uh, to me, it'd be the equivalent of measuring a vehicle based on how many people can sit in it. If that's the case, we'd all be driving buses, right? right. That, that would be the proper metric. Um, but it's not. It's the quality of the ride. It's all the things that make a Ferrari, in most cases, better than a bus. Um, so when we look at the market, we still believe that there is this fundamental depth versus breadth issue. There are organizations and technologies that are pursuing a breadth strategy where it's about supporting as many languages as possible, but the support tends to be very, very shallow. It doesn't provide depth value to the developers that consume it. And when I say that, I mean that they tend to do things like only deploy and scale your application. Um, that's, a, that's a tactical function as opposed to a strategic one, and it's not a depth play, it's a breadth play. The only reason you can do that across, say, 80 languages is that they all share one thing in common. They're made up of bits, and deploying those bits means pushing things to servers. Um, so we still believe that depth is absolutely the way to go. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that evolution in Apprenda um, if you want afterwards. Yeah. And then second, from a best-in-class perspective, that's an architectural quality. That is uh, related to this idea of polyglot versus depth. And when you take an approach that is focused on breadth only in as many languages as possible, you have to make architectural compromises in your platform to accomplish that. And it means that you can never optimize around specifics of any given runtime because that would violate that breadth principle. Okay. Um, so best in class is still relevant, and depth support around uh, as few languages as possible is still important. Okay, so so let's jump into that a little bit. You guys made an announcement uh, this week that you're extending from uh, the the .NET framework that's that's core to Apprenda to now supporting Java. Um, what does what does that mean to you guys from an architecture perspective? Is it is there a, a Java version of Apprenda and a .NET version, or, or are they an integrated platform and you sort of went depth in, in each one of those frameworks? Yeah, it's an integrated platform where it's depth <laughs> one of those frameworks. Uh, we do not have two products. We have the Apprenda Pass, and Java and .NET are features of that pass. Okay. Uh, so architecturally what that means is that we have, to be, we have to make very careful decisions about where the DMARC points are for convergence, right? What we've done in our product, the, the .NET side, when we only had .NET, is that we enhanced the .NET runtime to be much more cloud-friendly, if you will. It was much more sophisticated. We took the CLR, we added a bunch of stuff to it, we added a bunch of stuff to IIS and SQL Server, and we made it where it could act in a distributed way so that a bunch of uh, Windows servers... 
And then that would create a new runtime so that when you run applications on top of the .NET side, you could instrument new capabilities into the .NET app. So for example, on Apprenda, if you want an app to be multi-tenant, literally multi-tenant at the database layer, at the web services layer, at the front end, you checkbox in a portal or through a manifest file that you want that platform service. And we literally instrument that capability into the app. We'll transform the data model to become multi-tenant, even though your app still issues queries as if it was single-tenant. Okay. That sort of magical transformation is because of the depth integration we have with the CLR. Okay. Um, the way we're treating Java architecturally is at the JVM level, we are doing the same things in a very JVM-specific way. That is non-portable value. That is not something that you can just say, well, we're going to write it and somehow magically apply it to both the CLR and the JVM. So architecturally, they are deviant at that level when you go to the lowest possible point. As you move up the Apprenda stack and you get into things like uh, application services, those are shared between the runtimes, some of them. And if you go all the way up the stack and you look at, um, say, the internal IT owner who is literally running the private pass on the behalf of the enterprise, they are viewing Apprenda both across Linux and as one big homogenous pool of resources. So there's no distinction for them in terms of what they're managing, Java or .NET. It's one pool. Okay. Uh, so we converge the architecture as you get closer to the end consumer, which is the IT staff running the pass, um, or on the developer side, providing application services that are shared. Okay. And then, uh, you know, beyond beyond the PaaS piece of it, do you guys um, do you provide a set of external tools? So things along the lines of that look like Chef or Puppet or um, you know, sort of continuous continuous integration, Jenkins looking like stuff, or is that built into the platform um, as a as a set of tools? So we have a bunch of, of tools that surround uh, that surround Apprenda, and they are dependent on the dev environment. So, for example, we have uh, Eclipse plugins for managing and deploying apps directly out of Eclipse. Um, we have the same in Visual Studio, so you can be sitting in Visual Studio okay. and a click of a button, kick off a build, it'll build your app, it'll co- uh, compile it into a zip file that is the Apprenda archive format, and it will push that to whatever cloud you're targeting. So we've surrounded it with tooling to make continuous integration and the build and deploy steps extremely easy, um, including things like command shell uh, on the apprentice side. So we try to reduce friction as much as possible so that this plugs into an existing dev's work stream. We're not trying to displace their work stream, but rather play nice with what they already know how to do. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, it's uh, avoid adding yet another set of tools that they have to learn and, and, and deal with. So, okay, very, very cool. <clears throat> so it was interesting. Um, uh, around the beginning of this year, I had gotten a call from a friend who runs a, a large Windows development shop, and they were they were kind of in this status of, well, we, we know we've got to move faster. We have these huge, uh, they basically uh, develop applications that are eventually going to be sold as a SaaS application, and they were trying to figure out their dev to QA to sort of, and I, and I reached out to you and I said, hey, I want to talk about this because I want to kind of understand what the process is. We couldn't get together, and then out of dumb luck, we scheduled tonight's show the same week that you guys announced that you're deploying with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase for their basically their private pass. So hopefully we can dive into that a little bit. Um, exciting okay. announcement! Congratulations! Um, Thank you. Give us give us the high levels. What's what's going on with those guys? What were the drivers for them saying like we want to move from where we are to a, to a pass environment? Well, so I think there are a couple of things, right? One one of the primary motivators uh, at J.P. and nearly every enterprise we talk to that is uh, looking at us from a private pass perspective is that they find their time to market is just completely kneecapped, right? When a developer has to go through the process of deploying an application, 
they go through what I described in my own experiences. Well, we have to call these 15 departments and get the app set up and get the environment prepped and what have you. And all of a sudden, 90 calendar days go by and everybody's frustrated that the app isn't up and running. Uh, so when you look at what JP went through, it's the same thing. The old environment required that. And for Web and SOA apps, that, that class of workload, that seems like a very overbearing process. Uh, the amount of waste organizationally that happened in that context was tremendous. Second, when looking at the infrastructure, utilization is always an issue. So when you think about a uh, virtualized environment, people thought that was the best thing ever. But what really happened is that you ended up with VM sprawl and a bunch of servers that were barely utilized. You're installing these web apps in, in literal OS containers, and each one of those OS containers is not utilized really at all to run any given web app. Right. So the amount of actual sharing that happened was very low, making utilization overall extremely low. Those were the two biggest motivating factors when you look at a global app portfolio the size of J.P. Morgan's, where you're talking thousands of applications. Uh, you multiply those thousands of applications against the time loss for each one to A, deploy the app, and B, manage updates and, stealing and so on. And then second, when you look at the, the context of utilization and saying, well, geez, if we're wasting that much of the infrastructure, could we find a way to run it better so that we can run more applications with less infrastructure? And if we can achieve that, utilization goes through the roof. The infrastructure spend goes down. Licensing fees to vendors like VMware go down. So uh, it becomes in everybody's best interest to actually figure out how, how that can get improved. And for them, it was exploring platform as a service and turning it into part of their production environment. Okay. Now, um, under the covers there, um, how, do you, how do you help them? So obviously, you know, JP's like a, any large uh, enterprise organizations, lots of departments who typically would have a lot of their own stuff. You've got some silos just naturally built into there. How did, you, how did they sort of get over the, the hurdle of, you know, we need to sort of pool these resources together, at least at the infrastructure layer, to be able to have, you know, to, to make the PaaS have a big enough set of uh, uh, resources to run on. How, how do they kind of get over the silos to start to sort of go, hey, we're going to have a centralized group that's going to run the PaaS, I guess, if you will, or operationally the PaaS, or is that where they're even going? Yeah, no, that, that is where they're going. The way it's run is it's uh, run as a central PaaS, and the developers and LOBs across the bank actually consume it as if they were consuming uh, a public PaaS offering. Okay. So I think uh, part of what happens in these scenarios and why it can get adopted so quickly in an enterprise like JP is for a couple of reasons. One, if you were to remove any sort of centralization, let's imagine it didn't exist and you just had a bunch of developers and LOBs. Right now, they would be looking at things like Azure or some other public cloud and say, wow, it'd be really nice if I could deploy an app there because look how low friction it is. Uh, that created a certain education among developers where they, can, they see the value and they say, it'd be really nice if we could do it. But the fundamental constraints of most enterprises prevent a majority of the workloads from making their way to public cloud. So you end up with an educated developer base that can't act on their desires. Now, once you have that in place, and the psychology in place, centralizing actually becomes kind of easy. You say, all right, we're going to build or license some technology and turn it into a, a PaaS offering internally. And when you do that, you have an incentivization structure automatically baked in because of that psychology. Uh, the old way for any developer in any LOB is, well, you're going to have to go through the traditional IT hoops and wait 90 days for your app to get up and running, or consume this new past thing that we deployed called Apprenda internally, and if you do that, your app will be up and running in 90 seconds, and it's certified and blessed, and everybody's happy. Uh, so all of a sudden, you've created this enormous carrot for developers. You're motivating them and incentivizing them to actually conform to consuming the infrastructure in a very specific way. 
Uh, but the value gain is so big for those development teams that there's no reason for them to stick to the old model. So really, it becomes an incentive program uh, that kind of drives adoption and drives the centralization at a place like JP Morgan. Gotcha. So, Second, it's, yeah, so in essence, it's the if you want to go faster, this is how you can do it right now. And if yeah. you want to go slow, do what you used to do. Yeah, and, and you, don't have, you don't have to have any mandate or anything to force them to... Right, to it's just do. faster versus slower. You got it. Cool. And you said the second thing was... I, I oh, interrupted so, you, I apologize. No, no problem. The second thing is that you know you do have to invest in some evangelization and training, sure. right? If any given technology um, is option, it, it needs to be visible to that group of developers, the community inside a bank like J.P. Morgan. Gotcha. You take most enterprises uh, that have meaningful IT departments... They also tend to have development staffs across the company that are bigger than most software companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so this internal developer community is non-trivial, and you do need to do whatever you, you have to do inside the organization to actually surface the fact that you're offering these amazing services to them. If you make that investment in the tech, you make the investment in the evangelization, and you make the investment in training, you end up reaping crazy dividends because at that point, you have not only the technology that can materialize the savings but the visibility on that technology so that it can be consumed properly by that internal community. Gotcha. And so in essence, and you know, and we've heard some folks talk about this, but it's, it's good to see that this is sort of coming to fruition. I mean, in essence, you're, you're turning your IT department, I don't want to say you're turning it into a service provider, but you're, you're forcing them to think like product managers and in essence have a comms and marketing sort of strategy for how they're going to get that communicated internally. And then I'm sure over time they're going to want a a system that says, hey, I, I want to communicate success and, and sort of uh, victories and things that have gone well so the other guys will go, oh, I want that too, right? Play, drive some com- competition between the lines of business as to who can go faster and who's using the services more and more. That's absolutely right. And to a degree, I think everybody's aware that, uh, that the enterprise IT department is becoming a service provider. They're effectively uh, having to compete with the public providers given that uh, if they don't, there's this whole shadow IT problem. So right. rather than to enforce or constrain that, they're saying let's offer an alternative that's better, faster, cheaper, and our developers will then use it. And that's gotcha. exactly what you see. So what's the, you know, I don't know if you can if you can disclose any of the details, but um, so are they, do they tend to, or at least maybe in the early things that you're hearing, are they tending to bring existing applications just to the new environment to see how they run, or are they tending to say, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of come with new applications and start there, or is it just, is it a mix and it's, it's sort of evolving? Well, it's a mix, and in our case, you know, we've been fortunate to, to be involved with the J.P. Morgan guys for quite some time now, and it's, as far as we can tell, the biggest deployment on the planet, so we've seen it all. Okay. Uh, you look at the old app portfolio and any applications that have been sitting on the infrastructure for, for some time, those got moved over to the PaaS. Net new development is happening on Apprenda. So all of those things are, I think, typical MO at this point. Ideally, what happens in these cases for any enterprise that adopts private pass is that they look at the tactical value near term of moving as many application workloads in the web and SOA class to their pass environment. Mm-hmm. And then second, they treat that as the strategic platform for development going forward, very much like they did when they made choices of like WebSphere, WebLogic, or JBoss. That became a de facto app server. Gotcha. Okay. So this is the evolution of that concept, except out, and we absolutely have seen both there. Okay. Now, under the covers, I, I guess a lot of folks are, are still trying to figure this out. So operationally, how do you how do you teach folks how to run a PaaS? I mean, so from a developer perspective, it's, it's supposed to look, uh, you know, like how you would deploy. But, but under the covers, um, how do you guys go about teaching the operations team how to run this environment that obviously is is more about resource pools, it's much more dynamic, it's less siloed. 
Um, how does that process tend to work? Yeah, great question. And I think that's dependent on the past technology. I can speak from Apprenda's point of view, obviously, but at JP Morgan, we have 2,000 applications running on the past. And when you think about what that means, uh, let's back out of the fact that there is a past there. What would they have done if they were managing the 2,000 apps directly? What ends up happening in the old way is that every app is an exception to the rule from a management perspective. The security, the uh, resource modeling, the capacity modeling, the deploy and scale mechanics, all of those things were specific in many cases to a specific workload or application. So the nightmare prior to the past was that I didn't know how to manage anything. I had to actually learn about it each time an app got deployed. And if I forgot about it, you know, I'd have to go talk to the developer in some cases. Potentially. Okay. Um, looking at a past environment, what we do is we try to shape the psychology away from this idea that you're managing each app as an exception to the rule. Instead, you have one responsibility. You manage the Apprenda platform you ensure that it's up and running, you ensure that it has the capacity that it needs, and then its responsibility is to manage those applications on your behalf. They conform to the pass, and you specify policies and controls that the platform consumes and then uses to actually go ahead and dictate the app management uh, outcomes uh, on the platform itself. Okay. Uh, so I think it, to a degree it actually simplifies it a ton, and it's a transition of uh, psychology from manage many things to manage one. And then it takes a very policy-driven approach so that it can be simply defined and identified from the perspective of the IT staff. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And for the, for the folks that, that listen to the show that uh, you know, sort of come from an infrastructure background, what, what's the infrastructure look like? I mean, is it, is it Hyper-V under the covers? Is there any virtualization at that layer? And, and you know, what are things like, uh, is, it, you know, is, there, is there shared storage? Is it all on-disk storage and some, some ways to do clustering? What's the, what's the infrastructure look like? So we've seen both in production uh, in apprentice customer bases. So in a customer base, we've seen entire environments that are exclusively metal with the OS on top of it and no hypervisor. Okay. In this kind of no VM model, they get the advantage of removing a redundant layer. You're not uh, dealing with two scheduling layers. You're not dealing with two cost layers. Uh, you're not paying out licensing fees for your hypervisor, clearly. And it actually simplifies the model in many cases quite a bit. Um, because the pass, if it is not dependent on virtualization as a container, can interface with the OS directly and carve up resources inside the kernel. That's what we do. We do this stuff inside the operating system. Okay. Um, then we've seen fully virtualized environments where people still want abstraction of the actual hardware layer and it makes DR easier, that sort of stuff. And we'll end up with a Prenda layered on top of a VM model like that and it's wholly virtualized. Infrastructure-wise, you typically do see shared storage. Um, you don't see on disk, and for a lot of reasons in this case. What ends up happening with something like Apprenda is that the applications are rarely writing to the disk of any given node on the network. They're instead writing to DB, to a distributed storage of some sort, or they're writing to like our distributed cache. Okay. So in most of those cases, you try to avoid anything that's, that's location-specific or node-specific because it'll likely cause your app to break. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha, that makes sense. So, um, so very cool. I, I think we could probably dive into the into the uh, into the JP Morgan some more. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave a little bit of that to uh, to Nicole, who does all your PR and stuff. because She does an excellent job, and I'm sure you guys are gonna have case studies and stuff. <coughs> in the in the few minutes we have we have left, I want to talk. Uh, the other thing is, uh, a few months back, you guys made an announcement. You came out with your version 4.0, which included support for hybrid cloud, so the ability to, to do private as well as like Azure. How much? Are, what do you see in, in the space for hybrid cloud for folks? I mean, what's the what's the drivers for that? What are you seeing adoption of it? And um, you know, which, which ones 
which side of that equation is pulling more? Is it public is driving private, private's driving public? Where's that going? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so let me describe a couple of things. One, at least from the perspective of PASS, we found that public PASS has educated the market on what PASS can be, but it also created the demand for private PASS. All of those professional developers, the millions worldwide that, that work every day in these enterprises, see public PASS, see the potential, and they say, I want one of those. Right? I, I can't use the one that you give me. It's public, but I want one. Um, so I think what we've seen is that public has driven the motivation for acquiring private. Our belief at Apprenda is that hybrid is the end state. We're not private cloud zealots. Uh, there's nothing about Apprenda that lends itself to private only. We have actually customers that run Apprenda on Amazon, for example. Um, but ultimately, what will happen in most enterprises is that workloads will exist on both sides of the fence. The reason that we built hybrid capabilities into Apprenda is for exactly that reason. We view public as a feature of your private data center. So when you're running our paths internally, you can configure it to pool resources from Azure, from Amazon, or any other public cloud provider that you want, and it appears to the platform operator as one giant seamless pass instance that's straddling these clouds and your private data center. You can then set up policies that get exposed to your developers that dictate how apps are going to be placed. So you might say, well, dev test happens only in public, production happens private, or you could do something that is more um, business specific. You could say, well, these apps are HIPAA regulated or have some sort of HIPAA auditing requirements and this infrastructure is simply not safe for us on the HIPAA side. So our placement engine will then make decisions on only ones that you've tagged as HIPAA approved. In that context, a business attribute is driving placement policy. Uh, but point being, that these business decisions will ultimately force application workloads to straddle both public and private and I think it'd be crazy for anybody to assume that uh, that cloud is either going to be all public or all private. Right. Okay. So, from a from a viewpoint perspective, it just looks like resources, and and you can you can carve up the private versus public based on you know priorities, security levels, uh, cost levels. Just the, the same way that and this is the thing I've, I keep telling people all the time. It's like IT is the only department within a large organization that doesn't just utilize every resource that's on the planet, whether it's HR and they're outsourcing some things and they have some things in-house. And IT has got to kind of come to this realization that, like, you know, public resources are, are good for certain things and you understand how to use them and private are good for certain things and you know how to use them. And where you need to get to is one, one sort of viewpoint that says resources are resources. I'll deal with them like you said, on an application basis, a business basis. And that's, you guys are at that point now. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's how the tech works. And it's a reflection of what we believe to be true in the business. You have a lot of, um, a lot of people on the past side that want to displace everything that IT does. And that's not a practical view of the world. You, you can't go in and tell them that they're doing everything wrong or that they need to do everything some new way. It's not going to happen. What will happen is that you can play into the fact that <clears throat> understand the enterprise, you understand that there are certain constraints that in some cases will maybe forever be immovable. Uh, and those constraints may dictate that workloads have to stay in-house. That doesn't mean an enterprise has to sacrifice their operating value that they could achieve at pass, which is the primary value of pass, not so much whether it's outsourced or in-source hosting. Um, but those business attributes drive it, and we shape the tech and our hybrid cloud support exactly around that model. We believe that that's, that's the right way to consume uh, infrastructure and let those business attributes dictate what happens on the public versus private side. Okay. Uh, the goal of any implementation, I think, in the hybrid world should be to relegate the decision to a business decision and remove the technical friction of that decision. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. Absolutely. So 
one last question. So in terms of in terms of like go to market, obviously you guys have a, a, a ton of of internal expertise, having you know both been developers and, and, and run these things. How are you how are you getting to market? How does how does the world um, you know there are some you know public cloud services like a Heroku that anybody could just go consume. Um, you know if you wanted to, you could go download Cloud Foundry. You guys have a, a you know a little bit different model, especially if you're going after the enterprise. How do people typically engage with you? Is it directly with Apprenda? Is there is there channel SI partners that you guys you know sort of well known that you engage with? So right now it's primarily direct, but from a from a approach to the market perspective, it's a bit of a blend. We have, a, for example, a freely downloadable version of Apprenda named Apprenda Express. Okay. It lets you set up a 12 gigabyte cluster so you can download it and actually run it in your enterprise. And that's the type of stuff that has given us a low friction way to get the value in front of people. Um, with Apprenda Express, and we've seen this in the field, the fact this just happened recently, we had a prospect that turned into a customer who had downloaded Apprenda Express and installed it in a meeting where they were discussing what paths to look at, and they already had it up and running. And just and turned, his, turned his laptop around and said, hey, here you go. Yeah, that's that's what I... And then that actually, like, the meeting stopped, and they said, well, let's go talk to these guys, right? So all of a sudden, uh, that created a scenario that was, that was extremely agreeable for the customer because they assumed if it was such low friction to set up a private pass then the tech must be pretty interesting, so let's dive in. Okay, so um, a bunch of, bunch of wizards and stuff to sort of just get it, do all the defaults and things like that? Yeah, actually, if you download it and start clicking through, it'll, uh, it'll let you specify a bunch of things with respect to how you want the environment to look. You hit done, and about 15 or 20 minutes later, all the installation happens. It depends on how many nodes you set up sure. after the process. Okay. Um, so from, from a marketing model perspective, we believe that getting the tech in front of the customer quickly is very important. We then have a community uh, uh, developer cloud focus on the developer community called apprendacloud.com and very much like Heroku you can just go sign up and you get access and that gives the developers the ability to toy around with technology without having to set up a full-blown private cloud instance. Okay. Um, that translates into our direct sales model so we focus on the marketing side with respect to, to getting the tech in front of the people and then that moves over to a model where our sales team engages with, uh, with the prospect so pretty traditional direct sales approach. Okay. And for folks, I mean, do you guys see that expanding, or is that kind of uh, further down the road? I mean, would you, would you go? At, I mean, for to growth, would you go after SIs or channel types of partners, or is it still too early to, to have that depth of expertise? No, we're absolutely going there even today. Uh, we're in conversations with a bunch of SIs and channel partners. We believe that that's a that's a great way, obviously, to leverage a sales model sure. and, and leveraging the system that other, otherwise we wouldn't have. Uh, do we know how much of that is going to be our business going forward? No, I think that's going to take some time for sure. it to pass. It's still a very early market. Okay. Well, very cool. Listen, uh, I want to, we're going to wrap it up with that. Um, first and foremost, uh, congratulations on the growth from a year ago. Um, it's, it's fantastic to hear about live customers and kind of what they're doing as opposed to just talking technology. So congrats to your team. Um, so, folks, we're out of time for this week. Um, Sinclair, where are you going to be out and about in the market that folks can go see you, talk to you, or learn more about uh, Prenda? Oh, geez, just about any cloud show in New York City or California, you'll find me there. So um, Cloud Connect, DeployCon, go ahead and uh, pick, your, pick your spot. I'll be there. Okay, very, very cool. And you can always go to, uh, to Apprenda.com. So, uh, so thank you so much for being on. Folks, um, we're out of time for this week. If, again, always, always, if you like the show, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the CloudcastNet, and obviously on the web. Uh, you can find all of our social media links. So uh, for Sinclair, for Aaron, who's on the road out at ApacheCon, we'll be back next week. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great night.